Amen. It's good to worship with you guys. What a privilege to, to worship with such a group of talented, committed believers. And I just, I just think it's a great privilege to get to open God's Word with you. Uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, if you want to open your Bibles to there. Um, this has been something, honestly, that has changed my life ever since I was... I was a freshman in college, and, and the text that we're in today is probably the text I remember most as the Lord just, just really pressing on me, changing, frankly, uh, who I was, who I longed to be in light of his good news. So um, let me just remind us briefly sort of the, the overview of where we're at um, sort of the, the verbs, when I was trying to summarize the Sermon on the Mount, treasure, trust, and flourish. So treasure God as your heavenly Father. It starts with recognizing that He is good, that His ways are higher, that they are better, that He is heavenly. Trust, trust that His ways are wonderful, that His words for us are good, therefore our blessing. And finally, we flourish by following his way wholeheartedly. And I just, I want to, before we jump into the passage, I want to challenge you as I feel like I've, I've been challenged even this week. Would you allow God's word to change who you are? And this, this is a primarily a challenge, I think, for those who would call Jesus Lord. Uh, I think it's so easy to, to have sort of a picture of how I'm supposed to relate to the Lord. How, you know, how I'd like to see things. And then, and then we read scripture and I try to sort of fit that into how I want to relate to the Lord. And honestly, I don't think that's why the Lord gives us scripture. I think he intends to change me. He intends to change you with his loving word. And we need to settle in our hearts that we are willing to be changed. And maybe that gets harder with more years of being exposed to his word and saying, okay, I, I think I got it. I'd rather not change anymore. But I think it requires an intentionality to say, Lord, I do submit to your word. You know, it says in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's current tense. That's what he intends his word to do today to you and to me. And we honor him by being ready for his word to speak and even to change who we are in the light of his glory and grace. So, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's such, such a cohesive piece. Jesus spoke it as one piece. I think we do him a disservice to sort of forget. So uh, if you're in your Bible, remember the beginning of chapter 5. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus has a large crowd, people who maybe have just heard of Jesus, people who thought they were very righteous in their own eyes. They were self-righteous. People who thought, 
man, I'm really broken. And then he also had his disciples with him, those people who had chosen to follow Jesus very literally every day of their life. They literally followed Jesus around the countryside. And so Jesus was talking to all of us, really. And his first words are, as, as Jesse said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize they don't have everything together, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who are broken because I'd like to love as God loves. I'd like to be what God is. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who humble themselves. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, for they will be filled. I want to be filled. I hunger and thirst for that right relationship with God. And then Jesus goes into what, what would that look like to be a daughter, to be a son of the Most High God. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You were intended for blessing, to add flavor, to give life. You are the light of the world. You were intended to give clarity. And then he says this really interesting thing. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. And his... his hearers would have been probably pretty jolted by that, and, and maybe we would be too. You know, I mean, what, what's, that, what's that mean to fulfill the law? And so Jesus actually unpacks it, and over the last couple of weeks, you know, Jesus says, you heard that it was said, don't murder, but I'm concerned about do you have murderous hatred in your heart? You've heard that it was said in the law, don't commit adultery or don't lie, I'm concerned about your heart. Does your heart have lust in it? Does it have untruth? Are you, are you holding on to untruth that is unseen? And today we get to the last two of those you've heard that it was said. We're starting in Matthew 5, 38. And uh, like I've said, these are probably the, the place where uh, Jesus has pointed most to me personally and said, Wow, this changes who you are. So let's start up in Matthew 5:38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to strike you, wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, God teaches us all in different ways. Mine happens to be two years old, and ask why a lot. And I think what the Lord's teaching me in this season of why is, it's so easy for me to get into sort of the, the technicality. Now, what does go one mile and go two mile mean? And my daughter is, is really good at asking me why. And whereas, you know, if, if you ask me why, I would be really tempted to give you a five-paragraph answer. My two-year-old, I have to get down to really the why, right? I can't, like, dawdle around. And I think, frankly, that's a really healthy thing to do with Scripture. It, you know, when you're reading Scripture, 
in, in the solitude of your, own, of your own living room or listening to it in, in your car, I think we need to come ba- back to what is the basic thing Jesus is teaching. I think it's a, just a really good practice. And frankly, it's a little bit dangerous if you don't do that when you're reading scripture. So let's just start there. I think it's fair to say, you know, Jesus is probably saying don't retaliate. And maybe if you, if you elaborated a little more, even when you have quite, kind of the right to retaliate. So he says, you've heard it that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. He acknowledges they might be evil. You know, it's not a question of Jesus is saying, well, they might be right, they might be wrong, even if they're evil. Don't retaliate. And I think, I think that's a challenge. Maybe it would have been even more of a challenge to Jesus' hearers because these were people that knew the Old Testament law, and I think they might have said, now, I understand don't murder and don't have murderous thoughts in my heart. I understand that completing the law. But doesn't the law say eye for eye and tooth for tooth? I mean, yeah, uh, Exodus 21 says that. Leviticus 24 says that. Deuteronomy 19 says that. Says those words. And so there'd be like a little pushback here, right? And, and it wasn't just, you know, Israel wasn't just a country in a vacuum. Uh, the Code of Hammurabi, it's, a, it's another ancient ethical text, says this same thing. Multiple Greek writings say eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And so we've got to sort of say, well, gee, is, is Jesus saying don't follow the law? Well, I think what he's pushing us to do is to sort of understand God's heart behind the law. That's been his point all along. Well, as you look at these texts, and, and I encourage you, um, wrestle with this. The point of God's word is to engage him. So if, if you need to Google search eye for eye in the Bible or break out a, a Bible concordance and look at these, wrestle with them. Uh, it seems that what God is doing is actually limiting retaliation. So just natural human beings. Guy, if somebody sticks their thumb in your eye, you know what you're going to want to do? Well, I know, let's state for me. <laughs> I'm going to want to stick my thumb back and harder, right? That's normal human tendency. I'm going to try and hurt you more than you hurt me. And so the, the intent of the law was actually a limit on retaliation, okay? And there's something more to it than that. It, it's pretty explicit. This was not you're supposed to take their eye back. This was... The, the community, this was the judicial system, was supposed to penalize, and not more violently than they had acted. So, and that's something that they, they twisted then, and we want to twist now. Yeah, ah, yeah, you know, I know, I know the legal system is supposed to compensate for this, but I'd like to get mine, and I'd like to do it now, right? It, it's... It's just one of the pieces of our brokenness, frankly. And I, and I want to stop there, and I want to make, I think, an important point. It would be easy to take these things that Jesus is saying to you and to me 
as an individual and sort of try and, and make them a statement about society and about law, okay? The Bible has things to say about society and about healthy laws, but I would contend this is about how you in your heart respond to your brother. And, and I'd say you need to pay attention to the pattern. And if you take this out of context, that's sort of dangerous, right? Jesus is saying if you harbor anger in your heart, that's something maybe you only would know about. If you lust in your heart, if you harbor falsehood, right? This is a profoundly personal challenge. And so Jesus is saying you personally... You shouldn't have that thing inside you that, that resists, that wants to get yours. That's not saying reject a legal system, re reject government. Jesus gets pretty specific here, though, and he has, he has four pieces that he goes into, four examples. So if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. He starts out with insults, right? If, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, they're insulting you, just in case you didn't notice, right? <laughs> and Jesus is saying, I want you to be so changed by your Father in heaven that your primary focus is not yourself, is not Defending your own honor is not making much of your story, but is making much of God's story. There's a story um, that one of the commentaries I was reading tells about Hudson Taylor, who is perhaps the most famous uh, missionary. Uh, he's a British missionary that went to, to China. And Hudson Taylor was, was a fairly important man, but was dressed in, in Chinese garb and had uh, hailed a, a ferry to take him across a, a Chinese river. And there was a Chinese businessman that didn't recognize this, this important British man and actually pushed him out of the way. Actually, Hudson Taylor fell down in the, in the muddy riverbank and this uh, businessman was about to jump on the ferry that Hudson Taylor had rightly um, taken, had rightly hailed. And the, the ferry... Uh, captain was shocked and said, this isn't your ferry. This other man got, it, got the ferry. And Hudson Taylor, instead of sort of retaliating, and probably he could have taken legal recourse, um, instead of just getting on the ferry that was rightly his, he invited the businessman on the ferry with him and proceeded to tell the businessman about the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Hudson Taylor had a priority that morning. His priority that morning was to make much of Jesus Christ. And he saw an opportunity. And I have to ask myself, if I'd have been there, would I have seen an opportunity to have made much of Jesus Christ? Or an opportunity to get back at somebody who pushed me in the mud? Right? Do you see this list as an opportunity or as an inconvenience. That is the heart change that the Lord is inviting us to. Jesus follows it up. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This one, maybe, 
maybe a little bit of a, the backstory would be helpful for. So in Hebrew law, Hebrews historically would have worn an undergarment. Uh, they're calling it a tunic here. And then they would have worn a thicker cloak over the top. That would have been the thing that sort of kept them warm. And Hebrew law said, you know, you can sue somebody else and take their tunic, but you can't sue them and take their cloak, presumably because that, that would risk them freezing to death if you took their thick outer garment. And so what Jesus is saying is, even though there's sort of this protection of the law, I don't want you to be consumed with your rights. Look, you can't sue me for my cloak. That's illegal. I want you to be consumed with the Lord's business. I want you to be seeing this as an opportunity. You know, there's this interesting thing about Scripture, another really bedrock principle in understanding Scripture rightly. If you read Scripture and you get something that seems different than any other place in Scripture, you ought to be a little suspicious, okay? But this is a principle that comes through Scripture again and again. Uh, here's, here's Paul speaking in Ephesians 6. He says, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Or again in Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then a bit later, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Did you hear that? Paul says, don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Some say that's coming against evil in the opposite spirit, in the spirit of love. Can you see that here? This is totally opposite to defending my rights with the hope of making much of God's story. Jesus, Jesus is kind of mean here. He doesn't even stop there, right? He goes even farther. He said, if someone forces you to go one mile... Go with him two miles. Now, again, some context, because I think all of Jesus' hearers would have heard this. Jesus was speaking in Israel, and Israel had been conquered by another country, Rome, right? And Rome had a certain set of laws, and in the Roman legal system, if a soldier you know, needed to break camp and needed his tent and maybe his weapons carried to another place, he could just say, hey, you... You, you, you're carrying my tent to the next city. Get on it, yeah? That would, be, that would be within the government's right. In fact, even when Jesus was on the way to the cross, remember, he was too weak to hold the cross. He dropped the cross, and so what did the Roman soldier do? He just said, you in the crowd, you're carrying this, right? And there wasn't any question from anybody, right? Because that was the law. You've got to carry it from here to there. Is that fair? I'd vote against whoever put that law in place. But Jesus is saying, even if you feel like the government is being unfair to you, even if you feel like the system is unfair, you can't get caught up on that. My opportunity today is to make much of the Lord of heaven and earth, of the lion and the lamb, I don't get that opportunity today twice. I get that opportunity now. And I need to be consumed with it. It's a, and it's a funny thing the way that works. Uh, 
about two weeks ago, I had a repair guy at the house. And, you know, I was asking at the end, how much do I owe you? Can I write a check? And he says, um, you know, if you just make that check out to me, you don't have to pay any tax. And that's a good deal, right? And what I said to him was, you know, my daddy always thought that it was an honor to pay his taxes. And I kind of like to honor my dad. Um, and honestly, honestly, I wish I had as high a view as my dad does of the honor of paying taxes. <laughs> you know, that's a, you can pray for me there. But, but I want to honor my dad. My dad is an honorable man. And, you know, he's never going to know whether I've paid taxes through this repair guy. But it's a big deal to me. I want to be the kind of guy that if somebody knew I was my father's son, it would do my father justice. How much more our good father, our glorious king. I want, if anybody knew that I was his king, not to bring dishonor to his name. Through some small thing like paying taxes, through something just or not, I want to honor my father in heaven. That's something the Lord would build in us. And Jesus goes even a step farther. This one, nobody's even forcing you. If some, give to the one who asks you. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Whew, that's hard. And I remember wrestling with this. And I'd, I'd encourage you, if, you know, the Pharisees had this intricate list. And you could be right with God by checking off box one, box two, box three, box four. Jesus doesn't have a list. This is not item four on this sub-item in Jesus' list. This is about a heart attitude. Um, and, I, and I've struggled with this. I, I, still, I think the Lord is maturing me here. Um, when I was in grad school in Indiana, um, I told you this scripture has really impacted my life. And so uh, I remember a, a homeless guy right after church asking me for money. And I was thinking about this scripture. And it's like I kind of don't have a choice and I had this sort of inkling, maybe this wasn't, this wasn't wise, but I gave him 20 bucks. And it was real interesting. The Lord allowed me to see this guy go get drunk, come back and harass people at my church within two hours with the money I gave him. And it's sort of like, I, I kind of felt like the Lord was asking me, how do you think that worked out? <laughs> you know, I, I honestly don't think this, this text is saying you must say yes to every request you ever get without using your mind, without using discernment. I think Jesus is saying, is your heart ready? Do you have a heart to make much of the Lord? Are you willing to lose yourself because you're lost in God and his goodness? Okay, so I told you we we're covering two you have heard texts today. Um, that's kind of the end of the first. So are you ready for the quiz? Oh, uh, you didn't know there was a quiz? Oh, uh, you should have asked, is that going to be on the exam? Okay, are you ready? Okay, so here's the quiz. Someone disrespects you at work. Should you, A, even the score? Because technically, that didn't show up on Jesus' list. There wasn't a disrespect to you at work. Yeah? 
B, you need a workplace policy that allows disrespect. It's the Christian way. Let's make a policy. C, you should never speak up. No matter what the cost, never, ever say anything. Or D, seek Christ's heart that looks not first to your own interests, but to God's good story of redemption and the people that need to hear it. This is going to be tough. Think on that, okay? Now let's transition to the second, the second half. Um, that is, let's see, verses 43 to 48. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even the t are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, got to use the two-year-old principle, right? We want to start with, you know, what's the big picture? Well, I guess if you were saying it to a two-year-old, you'd say, I guess Jesus wants you to love everybody, right? And then if you were going to nuance it slightly, you might say, especially those who don't love you. You know, I think these are well-paired. Sort of the first half, what we have been t speaking about, is sort of people you know, people you're interacting with all the time. And this is people who you might not know, who you might not be interacting with, who you wouldn't love, your enemies. You kind of stay as far from them as possible, right? And uh, I think it's interesting because Jesus ends his list of you have herds with love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You can Google that. It's not in the Old Testament. Uh, but, you know, you could sort of see how people got there. Well, Jesus is concerned with Israel. He's concerned with sort of his people. And there's, there's those other people, those pagans, or your translation might say Gentiles. That's most of us. If you don't, if you don't have Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile or a, you know, they might call you a pagan. Um, well, but that's not the message of the Old Testament. And what Jesus is doing is he's wrestling back the law to God's good intention. You know, God made a promise to Abraham, the father of Israel, that he would bless that people, that he would give them a land, and that he would make them a blessing to all people first and foremost, through Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. God's good intent in the law is not to, not to separate out, not to keep people from nearness to God, but to invite all. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so Jesus is, is rightly interpreting the law, and he says, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's saying, this allows you to be like your Father in heaven. You want to be like your dad, right? You want to be like the good father. And then he, he focuses in on two particular pieces. He says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Okay? God's not, God's not holding out. Everything we have, uh, I believe it's James who says, every good and perfect gift is from above. If, if you were alive at sun's, sunrise today, that was a gift from God. You didn't earn it. You didn't, you didn't pay for your heart or for your lungs, and nobody else did either. God co- caused his son to rise. God is generous, profoundly generous. And frankly, I think one of the primary lies of the evil one is to claim that God is not generous, to sort of say, is God really so generous, or is he holding out on you? So Jesus comes back to the character of your Father in heaven. He says, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is good. God is generous. And he invites us to be his children and to share his generosity. And that includes loving those who don't love you. And so let's go into the two things he says there. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? It would be so easy to say, okay, so easy. I take that back. I take that back. It's hard to love the people even that love you. Real hard, right? It's even harder to love the people that don't love you, right? And I I go back to myself as an 18-year-old, as a 19-year-old college freshman, and struggling with what love is. And I took a, took a psychology class and we argued about it. And <clears throat> here, I'll cheat. This is on the exam. Um, we concluded that love is an active concern for the well-being of someone else. I think what Jesus is talking about here is an active concern for the well-being of another human being. And Jesus is saying, everybody expects you to be actively concerned for the people that are actively concerned with you. What would evidence that you have a God who has loved you extravagantly, who has poured love on you, who has said, you belong to me, who has entrusted you with his Holy Spirit? It would be that they have experienced love. And I I honestly don't think this this is possible wholly unless you have experienced the love of being loved unconditionally by God. But by experiencing that love, you would get to share that love even with people who aren't concerned with you. And then, and that's hard. Uh, I don't know. For me, as a, as a freshman in college, I, I was sort of trying to think about what, wow, you know, it's hard enough just to be nice to the people sort of I care about, where I could get something out of if they were nice to me. And this is what 
God wants really to characterize my whole life, a concern for every person God has made. And luckily, I think the Lord tells us how to start here. He says, and if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. I think for me, the place the Lord had me start was looking to speak, looking, looking for me to show kindness to people that I wouldn't normally have spoken to. And that's, that might be really easy for you, or it might be exceedingly hard. Your father knows. He knows what's hard and he knows what's easy. But there's something powerful about communicating kindness to a stranger. And that's what the Lord would have for you and for me, is to have experienced his goodness to the point where my primary concern is not, will I be accepted, will I be rejected? My primary concern is, can this person taste even a little bit of the goodness of our Father in heaven? If you could help, if I could help one person today experience a little taste of the goodness of my Father, I think it would make him smile. And that is a great reward, to have the Father that you love, who you cherish his opinion more than any other, to smile. Okay, are you ready for the quiz? Are you taking notes this half? Okay. You run across a stranger who's, who's pretty different from you. Maybe you might even feel awkward. You should, A, keep your distance. They're not your enemy after all. It's exemption. <laughs> B, smother them with kindness, regardless of what you feel on the inside. C, you really shouldn't do anything until you feel loving toward them. Or D, seek Christ's heart and his actions towards this person at the same time. And I think this is what's so challenging in that high calling that is, that is the Lord's message. You know, it's interesting. Uh, some commentators think actually Jesus was um, referring sort of loosely to uh, Aristotle's teaching. Aristotle uh, said th that there's this idea of wholeness and perfection that has two parts. It's doing what is right from a heart that delights to do it. I think that's actually what Jesus is saying, whether he got it from Aristotle or not. Doing what is right from a heart that delights to do it. Because this is how Jesus closes all of chapter 5. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that word perfect is accurate, but I think in our culture it would be so easy to misinterpret. In the culture of SAT and GRE and end of course exam, is perfect, I mean, sometimes sermons even have multiple choice questions in it. Did you know? It's crazy. You know, in that culture, perfection here doesn't mean checking off every item on a list. Um, in fact, uh, one Bible scholar who, who's spent much of his life in Matthew, Jonathan Pennington, says that word perhaps would be most accurately translated wholehearted. 
Be wholehearted, therefore, as your heavenly Father is wholehearted. Have your whole heart, your whole being, after God's ways. And so I want to close with this. What would it take for me to be wholehearted? Do you need to experience Jesus' love more fully? Do you need to experience that wholehearted love? Do you need to be reminded of the majesty of God, of his greatness, of the worth of serving him? This week as I was wrestling with this, the Lord brought me back to Isaiah 6 when Isaiah says, uh, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe was filling the temple. This is a God who is worth serving, is worth glorifying, who you and I will stand before to give an account. Or is the Lord asking you to be wholehearted in something really specific? Has he brought to mind something by his spirit that he'd like you to change who you are so you can reflect him more? Ultimately, that is what his Holy Spirit does in our lives. It brings about the beauty that Christ is calling us to. So, will you pray with me and then respond in song? Oh God, you are a lion and you are a lamb. And sometimes it's hard to discern when we're supposed to be boisterous and when we're supposed to be humble and when we're supposed to speak and when we're supposed to be silent. And yet you've given us the law of love. You have loved us unconditionally. You have loved us deeply. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your great love that changes who we are. I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to live out that love. In Jesus' name.